everyone. Welcome to New Point Community Church. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We pray that this series and this message inspires you to grow your faith and builds your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Hey, 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 New Point, how y'all doing today? Come on now, it's 4th of July weekend at each of our campuses. How you guys doing? Great to be here with you. My name's Jonathan. I'm the Worcester campus pastor for those who don't know me. And so a huge shout out to each one of our locations. If you're in Canton, Cambridge, Coshocton, Millersburg, T County, and Worcester, let's hear you. Uh, today is a great, great day. This weekend, I hope you have some great plans to see some fireworks or uh, bust out the grill. Where I come from, they call it a barbecue. Here they call it a cookout. And so hopefully you got all those things planned this weekend. I'm just happy to be starting a new series here with you called Bye Bye Babylon. And uh, I'm excited about this series. And some of you might be asking, why is it called Bye Bye <laughs> Bye Bye Babylon? Uh, well, we are doing a five-part uh, series on the life and the book of Daniel. And so if you stick with us over these next five weeks, I promise it'll come together and make sense. I also want to let you know that in the lobby of each of our locations, we are selling these t-shirts. Now, I don't often say this, but these shirts are comfortable. All right, these t-shirts, and I'm not a small guy. And so uh, when I say that, uh, I'm very cautious about the t-shirts. So make sure that you go to the lobby, pick one of these up while supplies last. Now, I'm excited about today. But in order to dive in to today's message, we have to, or I would like to give you a little perspective on the history of Israel. And so if you stick with me for a short little period of time, we're gonna take a quick little history lesson on Israel to really catch up and give perspective for where Daniel and his friends are in their life. And so to start things off, we can go all the way back to 2000 BC. This is when God speaks to a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham lives in Haran, which would be like modern day Mecca, Saudi Arabia. And he's there with his family. It's where he's grown up. It's a polytheistic type culture. That means they have so many gods that they literally uh, have a God for everything. And, it, and it's all in the temple. They have little idols that represent these. Abraham stands out among all of these people as something gets him out of everyone else. Something just speaks to him that he believes there is only one God. This is monotheism. This is the, the truth that there is one God and that one God deserves all of my worship and all of my obedience. And so God sees and recognizes this faith in Abraham and he calls him out. Now this is significant because Israel's journey from the start is being called to be set apart. So he calls him from where he is. He leads him to a land called Canaan and he shows him this land and says, I am going to give this to your uh, descendants and they will become a great nation. And, and through them, all the nations in the world will be blessed. This is what he promises to Abraham. Now, 
I don't have time to go into detail. This is going to be very brief, so hopefully you're not looking for an in-depth history lesson. Abraham has his son Isaac. Isaac has two sons, and it's through his son Jacob that God decides to fulfill this covenant. Jacob has 12 sons, so Jacob has a lot of kids there, and God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. And so his 12 sons begin to have families of their own and they become known as the 12 tribes or maybe in order to put it into perspective for us, those would be considered states. So they become like the 12 tribes of Israel. God brings them down into Egypt to give them a safe place to multiply. They multiply so quickly into numbers that would fill a nation. This family over 500 years, so much that Pharaoh gets scared and and actually causes them to go into slavery. And we know the story. Moses goes down, leads them through the wilderness. And that brings us to about 1400 BC when Israel finally crosses the Jordan and takes Jericho and takes other nations and they become a nation. And not just any nation. Listen, they are unique. They are the only nation on earth that God has given them a promise. And that promise is this. I will not only be your God, but I will be your king. I myself will lead you. Now, he does this through priests and prophets and judges and, and, and as a representative, but this is unique. Israel stands apart from the other nation, but guess what? Israel's like, getting a little tired of that uniqueness. They're looking around at the other nations and they're like, I kind of wish that we had that because, you know, after all, they're human, right? Once you start getting your eyes on something else, you start going, I like that. So Israel starts saying like, we want a king. We want a king. And then 1000 BC, they start demanding a king from Samuel, the last prophet and judge, and he warns against this. He says, you guys don't want a king. Listen, you have the perfect king. You have it good. You know, you ever like parents out there uh, ever feel like your kid is like, I just want to have this. I, one time we took, we went to a fair one time and one of my girls who will remain nameless right now, she came in, she goes, dad, I will give everything to buy this, it was this little plastic samurai sword. Now she was like like 11 years old. And I thought this seems a little like unreal. (laughs) Like you sure you want to like give like the money that we're giving you to buy things that would last? Oh, this samurai sword. Imagine the things I could do. I'm like, I'm trying. I really am. I don't know what you'll do with this. Please. This is Israel, right? They've got the perfect scenario. God says, you don't want a king, I'm your king. You get a king who's not led by good judgment, it's not gonna go well for you. Nonetheless, they say, we wanna be like other nations. Does that ever sound familiar? So they demand a king, God gives them Saul, he's kind of a disappointment. And then they have kind of their golden years with King David and Solomon. But Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, under his rule, they actually go through civil war. And the the nation of Israel actually splits up and divides into two different kingdoms. You've got the 10 tribes of Israel that make up the Northern kingdom. And that would be uh, 
that would be uh, known as Israel. They, their capital would be in Samaria. And then you've got the Southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And so they split up and the kingdom's divided. That's around 920 BC. And, and uh, the Northern kingdom doesn't really ever really fully catch on to following the Lord. And so they quickly are really captured by Assyria and brought into captivity in 720 uh, BC. Now the Southern kingdom, it's, the kingdom of Judah, and, and they have some good kings. They remain in the lineage of, of David, and so they remain with these kings, and they hold on a little longer. But eventually, eventually, they keep wanting to be like the other nations. They keep wanting to be like these others. And so in 536 BC, the Lord finally says, and this is a thousand years of inconsistent wavering, wanting to be like the other nations, God finally says to him, fine, if you want to be like the other nations so badly, I'll let you fall under the rule of the strongest empire. And so for the first time since Egypt, that's a thousand years, the people of Judah, Daniel and his friends are exiles in a foreign land. Their homes Temple, communities have been ravaged, completely destroyed. They are brought from that place into a foreign land. And it's in this reality that we discover the depth of who this nation was meant to be. It was never about a land. It was always about a people. Say it again. It was never about a land. It was always about a people. And so in Babylon, Daniel and his friends and this nation will be tested to reveal something more than what they've seen over their lifetime. Have you ever suffered because of someone else's negligence or mislabeling? Maybe you're at You've worked a job and someone mislabeled something. Uh, any electricians ever go to the electric box and something's labeled the wrong thing? <laughs> well, in 1996, Boeing 757 Aero Peru Flight 603, it was carrying 61 passengers, nine crew members. They were taking off from Lima, Peru to Santiago, Chile. And about a minute after takeoff, the pilots recognized their altimeters were not working, all three of them that they had. And they're going, what is going on? It's a minute. Now, altimeter is the thing that shows you and shows a pilot how high you are. And because it's nighttime, this becomes very important. All of a sudden they come back on, but no sooner does an alert start alerting them. And this alert is the radi uh, the uh, rudder ratio. And this, this talks about the health of the plane's rudder and it's going off and the pilots are going, what's going on? No sooner does the mock train alert start sounding off. This is the alert that says whether or not the plane is level. And, and then this alert comes on that no pilot wants to hear and it's the low terrain alert. Well, their altimeters have just suddenly turned back on and it says that they're at 9,700 feet. 
but they're getting this alert that says they're low terrain, 9,700 feet is climbing. And so they're going, which one do we believe? And all of a sudden, all of these different alerts and alarms come off. They radio the tower. Do you know what our altitude is? They're like, yeah, we're reading 9,700. But what they don't realize is that this, uh, the control tower is simply getting the reading that the plane itself is feeding them. So terrified, they decide to turn the plane around and fly back to the airport. Now keep in mind, it's pitch black. They can't see anything. And all they hear is a barrage of alarms going off and off and off. And so they decide to make that journey back to the airport thinking it's the right decision. But what they don't know is that hours before they took off, a maintenance worker was working on the plane, cleaning it. And while he was cleaning it, he took a piece of duct tape, no larger than this little area, to cover a portal called the pedostatic port. Now, this is an important port because it talks about the air pressure outside, the plane's speed, all of the readings that make that those pilots aware of where they are and where they're going. They don't realize that all of their information has been skewed. They don't have any of the right information. And so they need to make the decision whether or not to descend because the plane is telling them, the alert's telling them they're too low. Or to, are, 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 do they want to climb? Because the altimeter is saying they're at 97. They got to either come down to land and they don't know what to do. But what they don't realize is that they're only 90 feet from the Pacific Ocean. And so slowly they descend and they meet a collision and 70 lives are tragically taken that day simply because one filter, one filter that controlled all the rest was covered. This story is a sobering reminder of the importance of having the correct information, the correct labels, the collective correct alarms. You ever feel like you're, you got all the the alarms going off in, in your life? You ever feel like you're being told to do one thing and being told to do another thing and they conflict like these pilots did? Do I go up? Do I go down? What do I do? Finding out where the source of your information is coming from then is imperative so that you don't face an impending collision in your life. Now, I know this story because I am an avid YouTube watcher. Now, I never gold for that. That's not what I dreamed of being in high school, an avid YouTube watcher. Nonetheless, here I am. And one of the things my kids love is that I love watching documentaries. And they can be the strangest documentaries like a plane crash (laughs) or does Bigfoot exist? I don't know. It sucks me in. Now, if you're not willing to pay for YouTube like me, then you are very familiar with something they call ads. You could be watching a YouTube video and bam, this ad comes on. And some really hyper person is, hey, are you looking for a better life? Are you looking for a better way to make money and improve your quality of life? Since COVID, I've noticed these ads have changed into this mentality of find your better quality of life. Are you looking to get 
shredded like me and have a good quality of life? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> they're doing all of these like ads that come in and, and, and we are enamored as a society with a barrage of this type of information. And then you have to stop and say, no wonder most people have a bad quality of life. There are too many alerts, too many labels, too many voices telling us who we are, what we need to do, and what quality looks like. But what I want to talk to you about and reveal in the book of Daniel is this, that quality of life begins with knowing who you are, listen, and more importantly, to whom you belong. Why? Every human being is wired to feel two different things. Significance, that's who you are, who you are is significant. We all desire this innately. The second thing is we all have an innate desire to belong. Every one of us want to know that we belong somewhere. And so that's the importance of to whom you belong. Now, these two things can be summed up in one word, and that word is identity. Identity. Now, in our culture and society, we have a lot of different forms of identity. DNA aside, um, you know, uh, of course, you can tell uh, when, you know, have you ever seen someone's kid and been like, I know exactly who their parents are. I'm going to let you know that, that you'll see any of my girls, any of my four daughters, you will not know they are my daughters because they got 98% of their mom's good looks. All right. <laughs> so they are unbelievably gorgeous. They're so beautiful. And we have all types of things. We got social security numbers, driver's license. We've got birth certificates. These are all forms of identification, right? But in ancient times, this was much different, okay? Much of your identity was labeled by these things, your name. You know, your name wasn't just the coolest new modern name. Your name meant something, Okay, if you, listen, if you gave your mom some trouble in the birthing process, you might be named, he gave me trouble. <laughs> you, you could be named, she was a pain. <laughs> and that's how you introduce yourself. You're like, hey, my name is, I'm a pain. <laughs> this is how people were named. Now, some people, like there was one guy in the, uh, in, in the Bible that was, was named, he is Harry, just because he was a hairy little baby. Can you imagine? But they carried identity. People named their kids with a form of identity. The next was your parents' name. Now, we know this as our last name, but they would say the son of, the daughter of. Now, this, this really referred to a lot, too, of the trade that your parents were in, what kind of work they did. And then lastly, where you're from. You know, we get this taste because when Jesus came into Jerusalem, they would say, isn't this guy from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Those, those folks are crazy, all right? This is how they really identified people. Your name, that meant something. Now, things aren't too much different, though we don't identify people like this. Maybe we stereotype them that way. But at least the final two, we, we really, really kind of hone in on. You know, the family we come from and where we're from. But the name is something I've really tried to pass on to my kids. Those who know me know that my kids' names are faith, grace, joy, and hope. I didn't do that to be cute. Each one of them have a story. Each one of them tell a story. And while their story is still being written, there is a young man, Daniel, whose story reveals to us what it means to know who you are and to know where you're from. 
uprooted from his home, his native land, culture, people. Daniel was brought into captivity into Babylon, completely different society. They pillaged everything and they looked at the remaining people and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he was not a good guy. He was very, very confused. And it was tradition that when a nation took over another nation, they would take the best of those people and make them slaves. They would take prominent and and nobles of their country and they would try to reprogram them into their culture and customs. And that's where we pick up in Daniel 1, verse 3. It says this, Then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now listen, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. This is like important. They were trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Pay attention. The chief official gave them new names, Babylonian names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar, and the rest of the boys you'll hear about in another message. But you will notice the first thing that's done here the first thing that is done is that they try to change their names. Do you know what the enemy's strategy for your life? You wanna know why so many believers and followers of Christ are struggling? They don't know who they are. And do you know why? Because the enemy's first strategy is to change your name. It's that piece of tape that covers the filter on the airplane that distorts everything that the truth says about you. Listen, if your defense goes down here, your enemy, the devil, he can influence every single part of what you believe. When others wanna mislabel you, when others wanna tell you this is who you are, when your, your emotions tell you this, listen, if you try to let the enemy define you, you are already allowing him to influence every part of your life every decision you make. And it's not what God intends. So if someone is trying to label you other than who God has said you are, a question should arise that says, who are you? Talking to yourself, who are you? Because Daniel's response in this scenario was not in the moment, it began a long time ago. See, Daniel understood the importance of knowing who he is and who his God was. This is who I am. And so this is what it says. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. See, he understood a name is more, is bigger than just a name. It's the culture and it's the way that we live. And so he says, listen, I've got a better way. <laughs> He's got this, he's got some gusto, right? He comes up to the king. He says, I'm not gonna eat all that. Instead, let me show you a diet. They go, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh. If the king sees you wither away because you're not getting enough food, that's gonna be bad news for me. And he says, I'll tell you what, give me and my friends 10 days. If we don't look better than everybody else, then we'll go to your way. God gives him favor. 
He is resolved, resolved, resolved to be who he was intended to be. Anyone at any of our locations resolved to live from the identity that Jesus says you are. And so it says this, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar and the king talked with them, found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They have effectively, just by simply being who they are, changed their culture. They didn't have a conference. They didn't have a seminar. They didn't have a strategy meeting. They just lived who they were. So how do we avoid the pitfall of forgetting who we are? What are the things, what are the tools and strategies that the enemy tries to use in our life to mislabel us? The first thing is this, culture, culture. That's news, politics, trends, entertainment. Now listen, I'm not talking to just, can I I be real here for a minute? Each of our locations. I'm not just talking about a political party. Okay, I'm not just talking about a policy. I'm talking about, do you identify with anything other than the kingdom of God? Pay attention. Because the enemy wants to mislabel you and get you to sell your life for that cause. He'll use culture to try to change us, shift us, get us to believe that this world is our home. And so John 15, 19, Jesus says this, if you belong to the world... You ready for some tough words? I didn't say it, this Jesus. It would love you as its own, but as it is, you do not belong to this world. That is why the world hates you. Listen to me. This infers that when you're living your true identity, not everyone's gonna like you. If you are living to be liked, you might not know who you are. okay? All right. So we hide. We hide who we are and unknowingly we allow culture to mislabel us. The second thing is peers. In all my years of following Jesus, nothing, nothing is more derailing. Nothing is more derailing to someone's faith than people bringing other people to influence someone's identity in Christ or their faith. That influence seems to come in. We need to be wise with those people that we surround ourselves with. A true friend will always, will strive to always, if you wanna be a friend and if you wanna surround yourself with the right people, a true friend will always remind you of who God says you are, always. Proverbs 21.6 says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You wanna surround yourself with people who tell you what you wanna hear, you may find that 10 years from now, you're not who, you're not the same person. Pay attention to the people that surround yourself. Now, third thing is, is this, we can be mislabeled by our abilities. What we do, oh, I go to church, I serve, I'm gifted this way. Oh, I can lead worship, I can sing, I can preach, I can do these things. So many abilities tend to mislabel us, man. And the enemy would love for nothing more than for us to be defined by what we do. What do you mean, pastor? I go to church every week. This is an ability. I do this and that. Where's your relationship? 
Jesus says this uh, crazy reality found in Matthew 7. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? These are people who had abilities. Jesus will say this, I'll tell him plainly, I never knew you. What? Our own abilities can deceive us so much that we find ourselves mislabeled by them. And he says, away from me, you evildoers. Is there anything more deceptive than talent? Y'all okay? Everyone awake? Is there anything more deceiving or dangerous than a great ability? It has the dangerous power of mislabeling who you are. Some people, you may think you're close with God. Oh, I got a great relationship with Jesus. I never pray. I never do anything when no one's looking. But man, my abilities, you should see the way I love God. I can feel the death stare from some people through the camera. So some of y'all, it's okay. Abilities are dangerous. They can, there's nothing worse than trying to appear to be someone. Okay, you're never gonna see the, like you'll always see the skinny pictures of me on Facebook. They may be like 10, 15 years old. Okay, but you ain't gonna see the other one. Why? Because it's easy to appear in our culture. I'll move on. So we're influenced by culture, peers, abilities, and then lastly, ourselves. The culmination of culture, peers, and ability all boil down to the filter of you. Your behavior through this filter, it creates all these things that cause you to believe that you're someone that you're not. You ever go home and all these thoughts are just going, through, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not this enough. You ever feel like you've been defined by a failure? You ever feel like you're defined by a success? Do you ever get so invested in these things? We have so much ability to influence our own selves and tell ourselves lies about who we are. You've heard this said, it says this, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Anyone ever heard that adage? How about this one though? If you don't know who you are, then anyone can decide it for you. I'll say that one more time. If you don't know who you are, then anyone can decide that for you. I was a youth pastor many years ago, okay? And we used to have to put on a camp every summer. And, and my motto in youth ministry was, if someone doesn't get hurt, it wasn't a good event. All right, made, made our nurse very frustrated at me. But I love doing this thing. It was like the end culmination. All these teams got together and we had this amazing mud fight in this huge field. Okay, and, and we would set out these like, just multitudes of slip and slides with, and I'd, I'd put Dawn soap on them and, and, and just say, hey, kids, just run freely, throw mud at each other, all these things. But, but in order to get mud, you need water. And this is in Colorado. And so there was this, this well pump and there. I'll show you a picture right here. Okay, now I'm gonna, I know, all right, I'm gonna get the, just like absolutely torn apart for this. I was shown this and they said, hey, there's a well pump. That's where you get your water from. So I put a hose onto it and I said, okay, so this is a pump. So you got to pump it, pump it out. 
And so I grab this handle and I start pumping and I'm like, I can't believe this is our only source of water. We're pumping the water from the well. I'm like 27 years old. And, and so, so I, I think I'm some sort of leader and I gather some, some leaders by and they start pumping too. And, and, and I think, man, I'm a good leader. I got 20 people, two hours. We're pumping this water just to get enough water. We're exhausted. We're like, oh, I hope this is worth it. And I'll never forget this. This older guy comes and limps. And he starts walking and goes, hey, guys. <laughs> and he shoes me away. And he just flicks this knob up. <laughs> and the water goes, <laughs> I said, you mean to tell me I've been turning it on and off this whole time? He said, yeah, that's exactly what you've been doing. <laughs> Two hours. I thought I was a good leader. I had so many people. We we're like, oh, <laughs> And we're turning it on and off. Why? Because we don't know how to use it. If you don't know who you are, anyone can come up to your life and start turning on and off what God has intended to always stay on. Y'all okay? God wants to turn that thing on, but then others will look at you and go, well, maybe we just need to turn it on and off. If you don't know who you are, it'll be easy. Perhaps this is why Daniel standed, stood out among all of his peers in Babylon. When other people seemed to be okay with someone else identifying him, and identifying him, he said, no, this is who my God is. This is who I am. And I'm gonna influence you. And you're gonna see me pour out like a fountain. So who are you? Well, Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. First Peter 2.9 says this, listen, church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're not insignificant. You're a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who you are. W.C. Fields says a great, great quote, and I want, you, I want to leave you with this. It ain't what they call you. It's what you answer to. You may believe or think you believe, but when someone calls a name or an identity that you're not, do you respond? Okay, if I'm walking through a store and any one of you say, honey, honey, I'm not turning and looking. I only have one person in my life that calls me that. I remember my niece, she was young. She's very old now, but me and my brother, we were young parents at the time. And someone handed her these rocks and said, hey, you need to hold on to these rocks. It was like her cousin and Hold on to these rocks. They're magic rocks. So I'll never forget. She's this little kid. We're in the backyard in our house and she's holding on to these rocks and she's trying to go on a slide and the slide had a ladder going up. And so she starts trying to climb this ladder, but she has these rocks in her hands. And she keeps going and young parents, I mean, I'm sitting there just laughing with my brother. <laughs> Look at her try. It's so cute. And she keeps trying to go on the slide. She's just, you start seeing in her eyes, like, 
this is what I was meant to do. Why can't I seem to do this? She's holding on to these rocks, trying to climb, but cannot grasp the ladder. And finally, my brother gets up and he takes her hands and he opens them. And he says, you don't need to hold these anymore. And he brushes them out of her hands and she turns around and grabs onto the ladder and climbs and goes on that slide more than I would have ever dreamed she could have. It ain't what they call you, it's who you answer to. So let me ask you a question. What name are you answering to that you need to let God take out of your hands so you can be the people you were meant to be today? Would you allow God to identify you? Some of you, your past, you're answering these names. I'm not worth it. I'm not this. God wants to say, you are worth it. This is who you are. And this week, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. And there are these questions here. What are your labels? This is not, don't tell yourself what you want to hear. I am blank. I'm going to tell you something. Years ago, I used to say worthless not lying to you and I'm not trying to be pitiful. I used to say that, that was my honest answer. I belong to my past, my shame. And I am not enough. Anyone ever feel those things? I want you to take some time this week and ask yourself these three questions. Who am I? Who do I belong to? And what, I, what am I not? Because if you allow Jesus, who is wonderful, amazing, and loves you with everything to identify you, he'll answer this way. These are mine now. I'm unique. I'm not like everybody else. Some people like it. Some people don't. That's okay because it's who God made me. I belong to God. I belong to him. Listen, in Babylon, I'm not home yet. I will not let events in my world define me. I'm not home yet. My home is and always will be with Jesus. I love him. I don't live for his approval. I live from it. If you don't know him today, he wants to give you his name. He wants to give you purpose. Would you let go of the rocks today? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that in all things, in all things, Lord, you are good and you are true. You are always longing to make us more than who we are. So I pray today, would be a day that each and every one of us know who we are and to whom we belong. We give that to you and ask that you would cause us to step into our destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you want to know more about us, please visit our website at newpoint.org. There you'll find past messages, parent resources, times and locations to all of our physical campuses, or you could just download our app at newpoint.org app. There you can find all those same resources just in a mobile version. We want to say thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.